Well, welcome to another lovely episode of the Brudeck Podcast. I'm your host, Toby Tucker, along with my buddy, my sidekick, partner in crime again, Grant Lawrence. How are you, buddy? And I'm doing good today. It's finally cooling off here in Houston. It's Man, not as... <laughs> I got to tell you, like, I woke up this morning, Grant, and it was about 65. Beautiful. And uh, went outside, and there's something about a good weather day that... Man, it's just like gets the juices flowing. You feel good. You're happy. Oh, he probably feel the same way. But the flip side is you go outside in Houston, it could be 65 and 150% humidity, right? You just sweat your ass off. <laughs> there is that. But uh, no, it's, it's just comfortable right now. Yeah. Well, you know what else I'm excited about outside of weather? Talking to these two gentlemen we got on today. Just super excited. We've been trying to put this together for a while. But uh, man, it's the, these guys are busy. They're always out in market, honing the craft, educating customers. But really excited to have these two guys on. I don't know about you, Grant, but it's uh, I've been looking forward to this all day. For sure. Yeah. Stoked to have them on. You know, two, two guys that uh, really know their stuff and uh, have, have been in the industry for a while. Can't wait. Right. Well, with no further, without further ado, let's uh, introduce them. So today's podcast, we're going to talk specifically Canada Malting Company. And uh, two of the, the kind of the stars, the movers and the shakers over there. One of them is uh, Kyron Flett. He's the national sales manager at Canada Malting. Hey, Kyron. Hey, how you gentlemen doing? Man, fantastic. Now that you're on, fantastic. And then we also got Don Moore, who's a craft technical specialist with Country Malt Group. And some know him as the Don or the Godfather. Hey, Don. How you doing, guys? Hey. He's like, hey, how you doing? No, it's it's true. Yeah, he, in, in the circle of, of Country Malt Group, Canada Malting, it, it, he is the Godfather. So super happy to have him on. Let's go ahead and get rolling for sure. Uh, again, this episode, we're going to focus on Canada Malting, kind of some background on Canada malting. And by the way, Canada malting is under the, the umbrella of our malting company, if you will, along with great Western malting, which we have, we've had those folks on before. So very excited to get rolling. So Kyron, let's start with you. Tell us a little, about your, little bit about yourself, kind of what you do at Canada malting and how you got into this, uh, this business. For sure. So I'm actually sitting here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The leaves on my tree are about half on the ground. So it, it feels like summer in the night and gets down to about zero Celsius in the evening and the leaves are, are changing a little too quickly for my liking. But I've been in Canada my whole life. I studied business at the university here, went into grain trading, uh, did that for about five years and then transitioned over to the malt uh, industry and uh, have been in this role for about four years now. So I've worked uh, with Canada Malting or in that building now for, for about six years and it's just down the road from my house. And uh, yeah, it's a fascinating industry. Agriculture as a whole has uh, always been really interesting to me. Barley is a, a really interesting, unique crop in the world place. Uh, and then the malt is, is a very specific, even cooler aspect of that, uh, that industry as a whole. So yeah, that's for sure. And it, it ultimately, uh, you are a fan of the craft beverage, just like we are all are. And that uh, actually uh, lends some, some added bonus to us being in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I live in what we call the barley belt or the uh, Inglewood kind of beer area. So within walking distance or biking distance, which everyone seems to do in this part of the city, I probably have uh, eight breweries uh, real close to me. So half of them allow dogs. So I can even take my dog uh, for an afternoon beer. I did with Don not that long ago. So very good. Don over you, buddy. Tell us a little bit about your background. We uh, you've had feet on the ground in a lot of different aspects of this industry. Tell us about kind of, how you got to where you are now and what you do currently? Well, I started brewing, I, I would say, at one of the first craft breweries in Canada in around 86, 87. And from there, I, I moved to of several breweries at that time and got into a little bit of consulting. 
setting up brew pubs and breweries, mostly in Western Canada, some exotic places as well, but mostly locally. And then had an opportunity one day where um, uh, someone from Canada Malting came into one of the brew pubs that I was working at or setting up and, and really enjoyed one of the beers that I had made and said, you should come work for us. <laughs> and, uh, and lo and behold, a couple of years after that, he called and said, the time is now. And, and uh, so I've, I've sort of gone back and forth between Canada Malting and Country Malt Group, depending on the need over the last yeah, 14, 15 years, something like that. And uh, that sort of brings it to where we're at today. You still remember what that recipe is? Or is it still in market in some, some random can of, at another brewery or what? No, it'll still be made exactly the same way at a small brew pub here in BC. Yeah. And uh, it was a Pilsner, actually. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Grant, I think you've actually, in your, your prior kind of brewing experience, you, you got a couple of uh, recipes or beer recipes floating around in cans, right? Around draft? That's well, they were uh, a lot of them were one offs, but um, a couple of them were year round uh, for sure. I would say like the, the main year round one is a uh, is a Martzen. It's like, a, you know, a kind of an old style Oktoberfest, more ambery than, than newer ones. I've had it. It's fantastic. Needless to say, we got a, a wealth of knowledge here. So let's get after it here. So I think a lot of folks well, in the brewing community in general don't really have a lot of knowledge of just the size and the breadth, if you will, of the Canadian barley harvest in general, like the production and the, the sheer size of, of what happens in Canada on the barley side, as opposed to the U.S. and other, other parts of the world. So, Karen, can you tell us a little bit about, let's start with 2021 harvest, and then also, you know, with that, a general crop update, and then maybe pepper in a little bit about the, the kind of the history of what you've seen over the years as far as the you know, production in Canada, kind of where we were at 10 years ago, where we are now. I know that's a lot to throw out, but there's just so much I want to ask you. Yeah. So I'll kind of give you a kind of a breadth of what we're looking at this year, how that translates to typical years and, and kind of go from there. So typically Canada produces about four times the size of barley crop that the U.S. produces. About 50% of that is destined or grown to be going into the malt industry in some form or another, uh, exports or domestic. Uh, the other half is is for feed or um, cattle here in Alberta. So that's typical. Um, you know, last year we produced about 12 and a half million tons uh, of barley in Canada. I had a great crop. Almost all the season was was fantastic and didn't have any huge hiccups. And then we transitioned to a year like this year where, um, you know, since my entrance into this industry, I haven't seen production, you know, this low or this challenged. So we're estimating, we were estimating about 12 and a half million metric tons in April. And that uh, is set to be about 7 million tons here. Um, you know, we just wrapped up harvest probably a week ago. There's some stragglers here and there, I'm sure. But, um, you know, 95% of the barley is uh, in the bins now. Uh, and all the malting barley is in the bins now. So, you know, we had a really low protein, you know, nice and plump uh, year last year. But going into this harvest, you know, just due to weather, we're seeing a higher protein, you know, a little bit uh, thinner barley. And that really happened because... Over the winter, where typically we have a lot of snowfall uh, on the acreage that, that grows barley, we had really warm, dry winter. So we had long, sunny days of exposure. And so the ground was exposed. There was no snow. And the wind and sun kind of sucked out the water. You know, we got a bit of water in spring and, and, and things were looking really good. The barley crop was in early, which is always very key in Canada, um, especially in the northern altitudes uh, that were growing where snow and frost come in September real quick. So we were, we were very excited. A lot of acreage went in. It was early, got some moisture in spring, and then, you know, didn't see a drop of rain for about a month during the hottest period of uh, the growing season, which was kind of mid-June to mid-July. 
We had the most over 30 degrees Celsius days that we've ever recorded in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So it was hot, long, sunny days. The plant grew well and quick at first. And, you know, then it started to, to uh, understand that the water and the moisture wasn't there and, and adjusted itself accordingly. So ultimately, what you're saying is, I guess the, the one word to, to kind of describe what's, what's happening. And, and let me back up here. It's not just in Canada, right? I mean, the U.S. is experiencing very similar challenges, if you will. Yeah. So I think there are maybe as a, you know, they didn't lose uh, almost half their crop. You know, they lost, let's say, you know, 20%, uh, 25%, which is still, it's still huge. And, and so last year, North America produced, let's say, 16 and a half million metric tons. And, you know, that's down to nine and a half, uh, nine million metric tons. So overall, North America is very challenged. And a lot of that, you know, protein levels that you can't use, uh, thin levels that you can't use, um, and it has to go to feed uh, and not to malt. So what I'm glad we're having this conversation can be very honest as far as what's going on. I think that's probably one thing that brewers aren't hearing from a lot of uh, producers is really what their quality is going to be look is going to look like. I know Canada malting has done a great job, you know, reaching out and kind of educating brewers what to expect and being very upfront of the concerns with the tonnage and and what both Canada and the U.S. looks like as far as production. But when you're talking to brewers, what does that mean when we have a very challenged year like this? What does it mean for the brewer? So obviously, you know, you can hear all this, you know, these large numbers and what's kind of disappearing, what's there, what's not. But in the end, you know, when I talk to my customers, it's, you know, what is it going to change for them? And so, you know, I've been trying to be really honest that, that, you know, this year's crop isn't going to look like the last few years crop, both in terms of, you know, pricing structure as we go into 2022, 23, but also, you know, your, your quality, even if, you know, we're able to blend and, and utilize, you know, pockets of lower protein, your overall quality, you know, will slightly change going into the next year. And, you know, as I see it, a really tough year like this year, you know, takes a year and a half, two years to kind of recover when you have kind of an island of uh, production where, you know, Canada, North America has, you know, some of the highest protein, best enzymatic barley in the world. That demand cycle doesn't just subside right away. So, you know, you, you usually, say that you're going into next year, a well above average pricing. And, you know, if a big production comes off next, next spring or sorry, next uh, harvest, then, you know, that can correct a lot of this, but if there's any hiccup and delay in planting or weather at, at harvest, you know, the cycle uh, continues on, but, you know, I think there'll be a lot of barley acres next year in North America, a lot of malt acres, which is great. You know, it's very supportive of the industry, but uh, it will take some time to, to, for that to come back down. I just want to reiterate here, I, it, it's not just a challenge with Canada malting, right? Or, you know, Great Western malting. I think the entirety of North America, regardless of um, what producer you're talking about, is going to see the same challenges across the board, right? You know, maltsters, especially those at, at Canada malting, are very, very talented individuals that, you know, have to take what they're given and try to make a, a consistent quality product that the brewers use every day. And so obviously we've got some faith internally in, in with, with Canada malting and Great Western for that, for that matter, that they're going to do the be absolute best they can to, to do what they got to do and, and change strategies in the malt house to, to come up and continue to provide that, um, that quality product. Hey, Don, jumping over to you too, when you talk about what a challenged year as far as the barley crop is concerned for brewers, they're obviously going to have to take a look at maybe potentially, you know, how things turn out, but, but their regimen at the brew house, right? Is there anything that you would suggest proactively taking a look at or thinking about prior to when this new crop starts rolling out? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think if we look at um, the malt kernel itself will probably be less plump than in the past few years. So sizing will be critical. I think it's important that the brewers uh, this year really stay on top of their COAs, keep an eye on their plumps, make sure they have some sieves available that they can check their gaps on their mills all the time to help with louder ability because they're probably not going to have as plump a malt as they typically do year on year. Those are starting points for sure. Other things that would could be could be considered for uh, for the brewer would be to use rice hulls to aid in louder ability. Uh, that's always a good thing, depending on uh, you know the the depth of the mash or the louder kind of the brewer is using, and if they have challenging louders, anyways, uh, certainly would be helpful this year. You know, enzymes potentially we're not sure yet. You know, we we haven't really fully assessed the, the quality of the malt into the malt house yet, but potentially enzymes up front if that if that's something that the brewer is comfortable in using. And, you know, products like Clarex, you know, stuff like this in, in the fermenter to, to aid with any excess protein. So that's what I would think. And Grant, as a brewer yourself, did you have to go through periods in, in your brewing tenure, if you will, where, where you've had to make adjustments in-house to changes of crop? Was there any particular year that stood out and kind of what, what regimen did you guys have? Well, you know, it's tough to say because we've had so many good years this sort of thing doesn't happen that often. You know, thankfully, I think a lot of brewers are going to be looking at their COA this year, you know, probably more than they have in, in prior years. I would say last time that there were, you know, similar to this is probably back in 2014, 2013, when there were some more thins and people really needed to do sieve analysis and check it. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're out there listening, it doesn't matter where you're getting malt from. If you're getting North American barley this year, you should get ready. You know, I just review everything, make sure your sieve sets in order. You're probably going to need it. Yep. Absolutely. And Don, you have made mention too about, well, I guess this kind of leading into another point or question, but I guess the question, Don, maybe we'll start with you, but the word is that the crop in Europe is fairly decent, right? And you had made some comments previously that it might be worth looking into just, just feathering in some of that European malt. Definitely. If I was brewing, I'd be starting with I tried 25% European inclusion. Personally, I would go with a, um, a lower color, sort of more neutral flavored European malt. And my, my personal favorite is the, is the best malt Heidelberg for that purpose, because it's kind of disguises everything, but it will certainly help with uh, brew house performance and consistency through the year. That would be a starting point as well, for sure. I think that's a great, a great call out. You know, if, if brewers are looking at slightly elevated proteins this year that are used to pulling North American malts, I'm just going to go ahead and toss in a, like a Barrett's something that has a, a much lower protein to, to blend in. Like Don saying would be good. Yeah. Even, even just a base two row from, from uh, England as well, or Scotland, if you're making ales and certainly on the, on the lager side, the, something like the, the best malt would be perfect to aid and consistency. Right. So help bring that higher protein that the, the brewers will be receiving down to a more manageable level within the brew house and help provide consistency throughout the year. Kind of going back to what you see, you mentioned about, did you say 50% of all barley crop? Well, give or take 50% is going to the malting side. The other is going to feed. So two questions. Is some barley grown specific for the feed market or is there, you know, is hundred percent goal of these growers to, to try to increase their yield and profitability to be able to sell it into the malt house and it some passes muster, some doesn't. And then secondly, the other challenge that I've heard about, maybe you can expand upon, is China and, and other countries looking for feed barley. Is that putting a strain or has put a strain on actual availability in North America for, for malting barley? 
Yes. So in Canada, we still grow two distinct uh, varieties, feed and, and malt varieties. If you okay. go to like Australia, they actually grow only uh, malting varieties that have yielded closer to what the field ver- the feed varieties are. Um, so in Canada, you know, when we think about our growers, we want growers who have grown malting barley are willing to sacrifice, you know, time and spray at the right times, uh, harvest at the right time. Because again, if you if you leave this malting barley in the field too long at harvest, and you get any moisture, you start to get some pre-germination. You know, this stuff's this stuff's ready to germinate as soon as water hits it uh, once it gets into the malt house. And so, you know, we really you know pull out the best malt growers that we can and. And um, we don't usually look for someone who's growing feed year to year and then just wants to switch over to uh, malt. It does require a lot more effort. It's a more costly seed. And so, you know, we have two distinct growing regions and, and there's a lot of farmers that maybe will grow both or, or there's a lot of farmers that, you know, will grow a bunch of malt barley uh, if some of it gets rejected or, or doesn't make it into the malt house or for exports. Um, they can still have a good domestic market uh, in Alberta or in Saskatchewan for feed. So you know, they kind of go hand in hand. The feed market really helps support the malt market because there needs to be a home if, if it can't make malt spec. So they go hand in hand, but they are very distinct. And then when you look at uh, exports, you know, eight years ago, Canada wasn't exporting a lot of barley and that numbers continue to rise and rise, uh, mostly to China. And that's grown both in feed and malt. So last year, China took probably a million and a half tons of malt barley, over a million for sure. And so, you know, that's, that's great for our industry in, in many ways, because it means a, a better price to the farmer. Usually it means more outs for the farmer. It means a supported acreage of malt, but it means that when there's any challenge or, you know, there's not enough stock left that that can challenge the industry as a whole. And, and, um, that can make it a bit tougher for us to find malt barley. So, you know, it's, it's a gift and a curse when you have a commodity like Canadian malt barley, which is you know viewed worldwide as, as the best barley. You know, it's usually two points higher on average on protein than any other growing region. It's got amazing enzymes. It's a great product, but that that means that sometimes you know we have a harder time finding it throughout the year, and and uh, that means that prices can can elevate due to the strong demand worldwide for it, both in barley and in malt. You know, North America obviously uses a lot of Canadian barley as malt. You know, we have uh, a couple of great malting companies here that send a lot of malt down to the U.S. as well and to Mexico. Yeah, that's no, uh, all, all good points there. And we'll talk a little bit about Canada malting and some of the armor, you know, that they've had specifically in their elevators systems here in a second, which which help kind of shield some problematic years pretty substantially compared to some other folks. So we, we talk about this new crop. When can a brewer expect the new crop to start making its way into bags, totes, or even on the bulk side? Do, do we have an idea yet? Yeah, so we've run batches across all three plants in Canada. And we're doing analysis now. We're building up inventory. And so, you know, I would expect for bagged product within four weeks, you know, that will start to hit the market. All customers were already looking at two weeks at certain plants. And so we've tried to uh, make sure that that communication is going from our team outwards. And, and um, you know, if there's any large changes between uh, specifications, you know, we try to make sure that that COA information is is very accurate and, and we try to make sure everyone's aware of what changes are coming down the pipeline in regards to quality. Going back to the elevator systems, Grant, have you had a chance to, to visiting, visit any of those up there in Canada yet? I have. Yeah, I've seen the, um, I think it's pronounced bicycle. I've seen that elevator. It's pretty amazing. It really Speaking is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think a lot of people know about the elevator system. We're very proud of having 
CMC and, and obviously having that in our portfolio. But one of the thing that, things that set you, set you guys apart and specifically, again, helps to shield some of that volatility year to year on the barley crop. Karen, tell us a little bit about this elevator system and uh, what it means for, for Canada malting and ultimately for, for the end user, which is the brewer and the distiller. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Grant's seen it, which, you know, that's funny when you say you got nine country elevators across the prairies, you know, people think of these big concrete or steel elevator systems, but, you know, we, we actually have, you know, smaller segregation-based elevators. So they're these small, in these small communities, um, they're, they're older, but they've been refitted by us to, to handle malt barley. So, you know, we can have anywhere from 50 to hundred small segregations at every one of these elevators. That means, you know, a single variety of barley, a single farmer's barley is going into this segregated bin. We then ship that to the plant as segregated, malt everything together. So, you know, we can have a, a homogeneous product and uh, we can make sure we're consistent. We're not uh, blending uh, different varieties, different proteins. And then in the end, we can blend what malt is needed to, to give the most consistent product for the brewer. Yeah. The other thing, and going back to it, I mean, the other positive is you guys are within a very, very short distance of the growers, right? You have that boots on the ground relationship with them and they don't have to go very far to, to deal with you and, you know, you know, shake hands and, and get that, uh, that grain in the bins, right? Exactly. You know, we have employees that are living in these communities, have been buying from these different families for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. They have these relationships. They have, uh, they live just down the door. They can get samples to the elevator right away. So, you know, we're very proud of them and, and they are a strong part of why and how we do what we do. And, you know, it's a wonderful grain team. And, you know, I, I love showing them off and I think they look beautiful as a backdrop against the prairies. And, you know, anytime any brewers that are listening to this are in Canada, when that's uh, viable again, you know, we'd love to show them off and see what they're all about. Yeah. And I will say historically, you guys have always put on a fantastic, what we call malting course, but it's basically bringing some folks up and, and visit the malt house and, and take a run and walk around in some of the fields and a little beneficial plus of getting up to Banff and stuff like that. So can't wait to, to be able to do that again, for sure. Yeah. And we're hoping, you know, next August to have that back and, you know, we'd be, we'd love to see a huge uh, amount of us and Canadian brewers come out to it again, uh, as we have been in the past. So. Absolutely. Well, Grant, I know you've just been itching to talk about specifically some of these unique products that uh, CMC has and uh, I'm looking at uh, this list of questions that you wanted to ask. And we, we only have like a short time. We don't have like a day, but yeah, <laughs> you, you, yeah, have at it, buddy. Get on. I want to go one more question about the elevator. Just, just something I'd like to reiterate um, that Kyron mentioned is when you can segregate raw barley into these bins like this and then move them to the malt house together, you can malt like for like barley. And, and I think that's one thing that when I first heard about that, it's like a light bulb came on my head is really from a malting standpoint. I mean, that's the best way to drive consistency and no, no other, at least no other North American maltster I know of can, can really pull that off because they don't have the elevators for the, for the segregation. So you can equate it as well as, as a brewer, the more fermenters that you have, the more flexibility you have in, from your brew house. That's Just a perfect analogy with the elevators. The more bins we have, the more separation we can do, the more it helps the malt house upstream. For sure. Well, I want to jump back into the to the products though that Toby was mentioning. So a lot of those, a lot of them, they don't make it down here stateside. I've done a few collab brews with some different brewers about it, but I was hoping for our, our, our listeners out there. Can you guys walk us through some of the, um, I guess, relatively Canada only malts that you guys make? Like the the Alberta Heritage Select really comes to mind. 
we make a bunch of specialty products and depending on their usages as basically where they're located. Sometimes it's the brewers asking for something specific, like in Alberta, where we had a lot of the Alberta brewers coming to us saying, Hey, look, we're in Alberta where we grow a lot of barley. Can we, can we have a specific Alberta barley? And so we produce that with hundred percent Alberta inclusion for the brewers there. And sometimes it's actually for tax incentive reasons where in certain states or provinces, the brewers or distillers will get a tax benefit from the government. So that will we'll use exclusively product from those particular areas for the brewers or distillers in that region. And a good example of that would be the BC Select, where we have that from specific BC barley that's, that's produced for the brewers and or distillers in BC where I live, as well as uh, we, we have um, Empire Malt that we sell into New York, where we procure uh, barley out of New York State, uh, bring it up to Montreal, malt it, and then sell it back to the brewers in New York so they get a, a benefit from a, from a tax incentive as well. The same thing would apply with the uh, Quebec barley. We, we use all Quebec barley to, uh, to produce a malt for the, the brewers of Quebec, as well as the Maritimes. So uh, each region gets specific stuff and, and our, our malt houses are nimble enough that they can handle this and keep it basically segregated and separated very much like you would have for an organic product. So the product integrity is maintained throughout and each region gets what what is specific to them and what they like for instance like the empire and and the um sorry the quebec malt and the maritime malt is more like a pale ale malt a little darker in color a little deeper in flavor than say the bc malt which is more like a, a pilsner style malt because that was more what was requested from the brewers in that region that's it answers your question i think yeah perfect very cool so yeah bc pilsner that sounds lovely <laughs> you mentioned the, the especially kind of like a pale malt but you- I want to get back to this and I'm sure Grant wants to as well. We will at some point talk specifically about the CMC Paleo. It's a very unique product that not a lot of people know about and we'll probably be interested to hear, but tell us about the red wheat you guys are producing now. Yeah. So we, we had an opportunity to get some, some number one or grade one red wheat, which is the highest quality that you can get. I think is through a relationship with one of our, our members of the grain team and a farmer that he had met. So we looked into it and we had some requests for it in the past. Actually, red wheat is the predominant uh, wheat that's planted on the prairies. It, it isn't actually white wheat, with a lot, which a lot of people huh. think. So we decided because we already had a, a, wet, a white wheat in production, well, what could we do to differentiate the red wheat? And so what we did is we sourced from this farmer a higher protein uh, wheat. And we thought if we could try to keep the color as low as possible. So generally there's always a tag team. When you, when you increase protein, it's hard to keep color down, but to try to keep it as low as possible so that um, the brewers that were asking for wheat specifically for hazy beers or head retention could actually add more wheat and not pick up the color associated typically with, with uh, higher protein levels. So that's, that was sort of premise and why we went with that, with the red wheat. And um, it's been a huge success. Actually, everyone who tries it really loves it. I know that there are brewers who swear that it tastes better than the white wheat. And there's brewers who swear that the white wheat is more flavorful than the red. I've brewed both ways and I've never really noticed a significant difference. It's really what, what you want in your brew house and the purpose that you're using it for is, is the selection point that I would use. Grant, I know you and I both ran into customers in, in kind of our trips together that, that swear by yeah, that they can taste the difference between the red and the, and the white and to each their own. But you're absolutely right, Don. It is a fantastic product. Absolutely. 
Yeah. You know, uh, red wheat kind of has an interesting history here in Texas because it's, it's quintessential to the, to the Belgian white or, or wit beer style. Um, at least, um, you know, the people that are in the know say that. So they've always sought out a red wheat over the years. And, um, ever since CMC's rolled out with this new one, it's just been extremely well received. Um, there just wasn't that many options for a malted red wheat. And this is just another one. And it's really neat to hear that it was malted, especially for a higher protein, something that that's just perfect for like a wit beer style. And, and for the listeners, just, you know, shameless plug here, but we, we do have that product peppered around our, uh, our DCs in all of North America. So if you haven't tried it yet, give it a whirl. Let us know what you think. Yeah. We talked about kind of the specialty regional Canadian malts, Don, but what about, um, what about the other unique product that's not new really, but really just took off specifically kind of when the hazy started hitting the market. And it's still a very popular product for, for Canada malting is the oat malt. When did y'all start, uh, first bringing that to market? was after one of the um, craft brewer conferences. I think that we'd had been contacted by one of the larger craft breweries in the U.S. And I think they came to us and said, do you have the ability to produce a malted oat? And we do. So we got to our grain team and seen if they were able to procure what we needed. Uh, ran a bunch of trials in our, our small malt maltings uh, in Calgary for trials. And um, everything turned out promising. And, and then we sort of moved forward with it after that. And it has taken off certainly beyond our expectations at this point. I'd say it's like the core ingredient for a lot of people's hazy beers at this point. It just, it has those, just those right sized proteins for, for keeping a stable haze. Um, I don't know. I've, I've turned a couple of brewers onto it. I brew with myself. I just, it's a, it's an awesome product. It's, you know, still relatively new in the malting world and uh, yeah, good call out. Definitely something people should try if they, if they've never tried an oat malt before. I think that um, one of the discussions that was early on was whether to keep the husk on or not. You know, one of the challenges of, of malting the malted oats is they, is they actually have to be treated or cleaned and, and uh, whatnot before they get to the malt plant. Because actually at the malt plants, all our cleaning machines there are, are made to take oats out. So they actually have to be cleaned and, and set off site before they come into the malt plant. So it's sort of sort of has its own sort of pathway to be uh, separated. but. You know, the, the idea of keeping the husk on was something that we wanted to do for a few reasons. Notably, we, we find that it's a, a more stable product, doesn't, doesn't tend to uh, change its flavor over time. And the husk integrity. So the husk integrity and how that helps with louder ability, particularly if you're using a high percentage, uh, we think is absolutely a, a plus. You know, the only thing that the brewers have to really be aware of is the fact that it's a slightly small kernel size compared to malt barley. And oftentimes adjusting the mill or getting pre-milled oat, uh, oat malt would be uh, sort of necessary for them. Well, I think the other thing they for need sure. to be aware of is uh, trying to chew this stuff and breaking a cap <laughs> off your tooth or something. It's hard. I went, I remember when it first came out, Don, it, I went after it just like I would like a chew on a malted barley. And I was very surprised and had to immediately go and make an appointment with my dental hygienist. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oats by themselves, I find, have sort of a, you know, like if you look at historical oat um, beers, it, you know, would have been stouts and whatnot that had oat malt in them and tend to have that sort of silky smooth sort of character, which once it's malted and, and gone through the mashing process, it, it certainly has. But yeah, when you're just chewing, <laughs> chewing on a, a kernel of oat malt, it's not the most pleasant thing. That's right. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about the kind of the dip difficulty in the malting process, but as a brewer, any, any specific considerations on a on how to use them or what, uh, what inclusion rate on recipe. I know it depends on the recipes, but, uh, what are you seeing? What that inclusion looks like 
as far as a, a recipe formulation? I've talked to some guys that use it as high as 35%. Wow. I don't think you need to go that high. And, you know, I was talking to a brewer just this past week, actually, and he was using 20% and he's cut it back to, I think, about 13 or something like this. And it's still working to the benefit that he needs in his brew house. I, I think when it comes to oat malts and how they work in, in, in your brew house with your water composition, how they're going to form the haze, it, it kind of varies from brewery to brewery. And everyone's going to sort of have to experiment themselves on what combinations are going to give the best results. Like some guys will use uh, malted oats so they can have the husk integrity in conjunction with flakes. You know, and some guys will just use the, the oat malt by itself uh, without any flakes. So it really depends on the brewer, what their long-term intention is. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned flakes because one of the most common questions we got when it first came out, we still get it, Grant. I know you probably do too, but if somebody is using, you know, flaked oats, you know, pre-gelatinized stuff, what's the major difference between the two and how can, you know, the CMC oat malt differ and, um, you know, improve their current recipe? I would say, you know, flakes are, you know, flakes, they don't have a husk, right? So if you, if you load up a recipe with them, you're probably going to need rice holes. So, you know, in one way, it's nice just to have the husk, like Don was talking about still on the malted oats. And then number two is a flaked adjunct is, is cooked. There's no diastatic power. Malted oats still have diastatic power. They, they can convert. They're just more fermentable. So you get more bang for your buck from a extract per dollar standpoint as well. I think you're also going to get the added flavor, the actual kilning process when you're adding heat to it does provide additional flavor as well. For sure. When you go up to like you were saying, like 30%, you can almost get this nice little like oatmeal cookie kind of note. That's great. Yeah. Granola. Granola. Yeah. Canada Malting Company has just just a great portfolio of really solid products. The Superior Pills is, is obviously just tremendous. The Munich malt as well. Just really good stuff. I think one of them that I think gets overlooked, you know, maybe not in Canada, but down here in the U.S., is the pale ale that you guys produce. Let's, let's talk about that one a little bit. Do you know any of the history of that particular product and what it was developed around? I do. First, I'll say some of my most favorite beers that I drink are made with that malt exclusively. And um, shout out to all the guys that are using it. I know that back when I first started with uh, Canada Malting, we were seeing a lot of increase in pricing with the European malts, in particular Maris Otter. And so we decided at that point in time that we should look to see if we could do something domestically that could offer a sort of competitive cost advantage to the brewers, but yet still have the same sort of malt characteristics that an English malt would, but allow them to get their brew costs down per brew. So that was the original sort of impetus behind it. I know, I'm sure it was all discussed over a beer at some point in time. And, and you know, as Barrett is a sister company of ours, uh, I don't think it was too difficult to make a a real ale-like product with an American varietal. At the start, I believe we ran exclusively with Metcalf as a single varietal, but as Metcalf is basically in decline on the prairies, that had to subsequently change down the road. But it's a wonderful malt. It's got a great flavor. And in my personal opinion, I think it tends to dry out a little bit more than uh, you would get from uh, a European comparable. And that tends to accent or emphasize the hop character that the brewer's looking to get a little bit more, perhaps without leaving that additional sweetness. That's what I would say about that. That's a great call out. It's, you know, it's definitely a malt that was, you know, more popular a few years ago. And it just seems like brewers in general have gone to, to using lighter colored base malts. And I think sometimes that's a mistake. And I, I really hope that uh, some people out there listening will give CMC pale a shot. 
because it's it's delicious. Um, I mean, if you're making a any kind of UK style or just a classic, a make IPA clear again IPA, you just can't beat it. Yeah, and I know that when I was uh, doing consulting, I also found it to be the ultimate breakfast food. So you just yeah. go into the <laughs> room, grab a couple of handfuls, maybe mix it with a bit of Munich, and you're kind of set for the morning. It's got a great full flavor, just like Maris. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, you mentioned the color. It's I, I think generally that range is like two seven three five. So it's it's not you know a massive color color change there, but it's is really good product for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, I use it everywhere that I that I go. And when I was setting up breweries, um, you know, back when when I was consulting and whatnot, I had great results with it. Well, Don, um, what's in your beer fridge right now? What are you enjoying? I know you're a connoisseur, and and as mentioned before, you've uh, you've traveled many a places and tried many a beer. What's uh, what's in your fridge right now? I just got back last night from um, from Vancouver, where I was doing some crop reports. My son had come over for dinner, so there was actually nothing in my fridge when I got home. But I uh, I stopped at a at a friend's place on the way home because the after a four hour drive, I, I did want to have a beer, and, and he happened to have some cold uh, point pilsner. So being a I'm a pilsner junkie basically, and uh, whenever I'm on the road with the territory managers, they know that I'm always trying to go to the very best pilsner brewery in in whatever region that happens to be in. So that was a delicious. Uh, Pills last night, but to be honest with you, right now I've been on a bit of a, a mezcal thing, and uh, I've been there's a series called Alipus. El- it's an artisanal mezcal, and there's nine different ones in this particular series, and I've been sort of trying to work work my way through those, and and they're just delicious. Man, I'm a fan of mezcals. My wife doesn't Same. like so much. They're they're so good. You know, you make the right cocktail out of them, it's even better. So so going back, did you disown your son? Coming back to an empty fridge. <laughs> it's funny. I actually have one son that owns a brew pub and he actually doesn't drink beer. And um, my oldest son, he he does, but he's not in the industry. So, well, cool. Grant, anything else you want to fire? I mean, it's, it's a rare occasion. We get, uh, we get Don, Don's knowledge and can ping some stuff off him. Yeah, it is. Have you brewed anything? Um, you collab brew with one of your folks or anything like that lately, Don? Yeah, pills maybe? I haven't. And I've been seriously considering firing up my old homebrew system again. I, I just have had a hankering for just to get back into it. Just um, there's some new products that I would like to try and play with myself. A lot of new hop varietals that I'm not hundred percent familiar with because I don't get to use them. So I want to sort of get back into that and, and play around a bit. I know that the, there's a bunch of guys on our team that homebrew uh, as a hobby and it's fantastic. And uh, I might just jump back in. I don't get to as much as I used to uh, homebrew, but you know, I know that you're a big lager fan and um, at least for me right now is the season for like Oktoberfest, Dunkel. And I just made a Dunkel the other day with the new best malls roasted that we just, you know, oh, imported. Really? we're bringing in. Love it. It turned out perfect. That's wonderful. So, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about that product and we have, I guess you're kind of a uh, opening the box a little bit for a future, future yeah. episode, but we've been waiting on that stuff from, from best malls for a while and they've, they've dialed in what they're doing and, for listeners out there, you want to learn more about these three roasted products we have coming in soon from Best Malts. Take a listen in a couple of weeks. I think we'll be chatting with the folks at Best Malts about those. I know that the the tastings that I've had, the samples that I've tried of those those dark malts, they are fantastic. I am also excited about them. A yeah, different absolutely. method. We're That's not going right. to give away everything, but it's a different method of uh, producing dark malt. Yeah, That's right. We're going to plan a future episode on that one here in a few weeks. We'll, we'll come out with that. We're, we're getting our ducks in a row for it, but it's going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey guys, I really appreciate it. Uh, Don Moore, craft technical specialist with us at a uh, country malt group uh, with some history, Canada malting there as well. And then Kyron Flett, who's the national sales manager over there. 
a real pleasure having you guys on and uh you know obviously a wealth of knowledge and they're always open to chatting with brewers that's that's what they do that's what they love so if you want to toss around some questions our way shoot them to me shoot them to grant shoot them to country mall group and even don we'll we'll, we'll make sure they get in the proper hands and uh for the products we talked about the the unique cmc stuff the oat malt the pale ale and uh and the the red wheat we've uh we're stocked and ready so reach out to us and we'll, we'll certainly send some your way so don kyron thanks for your time today yeah you're most welcome uh one final thought guys stay on top of your coas this year it's great yeah we'll do it absolutely all right and grant Lawrence, our South Central Territory Manager, always a big thanks to you. And you're a, uh, a big contributor to these things, and I couldn't do them without you, so so thanks so much. Yeah, man. Good being here. Don, right. I hope I hope you come back down this way soon, and we can crush a pills and, and maybe grab some Texas barbecue together. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, Louis Mueller's. That's right. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, thanks, for everybody, for uh, for plugging in with us today. We appreciate it. And we've got, uh, again, we've got some, some great episodes coming up, so... Wherever you're plugging in the podcast, you're subscribing, or make sure you're listening. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks from the Brew Deck. Cheers. Cheers.